0: I'm going to bring our reading from the book of Judges, chapter 6. It's on page 236 in the Green Bibles. Judges, chapter 6. We're going to see a little bit of the context, background, and then the beginning of the story of Gideon, which I'm guessing might be familiar to a few of us here. We won't have the whole story. It goes through into chapter 8 or the end of chapter 7. But I'm going to read from verses 7 of chapter 6 through to verse 16. Uh, as you probably know, just a bit of background, the Israelites have been just in this pattern of sin, of rebelling with God, forming alliances with foreign nations, and worshipping foreign gods. And as a result, they've been overtaken by uh, their enemies, invaded by, in this case, <clears throat> particularly the Midianites. And so here we are at verse 7. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we sit, a short word of prayer. Father, as we look at Gideon, and as we continue to think how we might live freely and effectively and powerfully for you, teach us now by your word. Speak to us by your spirit. Convict us of all truth and enable us to live in it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. It might help if you have the um, pink sheets, these little pink A5 sheets in front of you, um, entitled on the one side, From Footholds to Strongholds. That's what I want to cover in the next few minutes. And there's a little study of Gideon on the back. And just to say, if I forget to say at the end, I've uh, produced a sort of fuller version of the kind of truth that I want to recover today uh, as part of our series, Recovering Truth, looking at things that will be familiar to us or maybe even well known to us, but which we're dusting down and recovering as essentials to living the Christian life. And I've got a whole uh, set of these, if you'd like to take them away as a sort of a a, a supplement to this morning um, with communion, I I need to be um, as brief as I can be. Just to recap, and if you're visiting here, um, it's simply this, that we're learning to see the world in which we live as one world, but two realms, the earthly, real, tangible, measurable realm, the physical, and then the, the heavenly realms, the spiritual realms that we see, if you like, with spiritual eyes. Paul's prayer to the church in Ephesus was that the eyes of our heart might be enlightened. I don't think any surgeon has yet discovered a heart that actually has eyes. It's a metaphor. It's, it's speaking of our ability to see beyond the here and now into the spiritual. And what we've been discovering as we're seeking to live authentic Jesus lives, living kingdom lives, is that as we see into the heavenly realms, there's a battle, there's a struggle Paul says our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers and powers and principalities it's in the heavenly realms, and the unseen realm. And as our eyes are open to that, we become aware of an enemy, Satan, the devil, who marshals forces of evil that are in direct opposition to the things of God. And you will know, every single one of you will know, as you've attempted to live for God, you will know what it is in some way, shape or form to come up against the forces of evil, seeking to destroy the very thing that you're looking to encourage and enliven, God's life in you, Christ in you, Christian life. Last week, we looked at one of the schemes, the way in which the enemy, the devil, kind of begins his work of opposition in our life and looked particularly at this this little Greek word, topos, from which we get topography, a place, an area. And uh, Paul says in that phrase in Ephesians 4, don't give the enemy topos. Don't give him place. Don't give him jurisdiction. Don't allow him a place to land in your life. And you'll see from... The notes today, uh, these headings here. I want to look at this process of going from the foothold (topos) to a stronghold of the enemy in our lives. What is a stronghold? How do strongholds become established in our lives? We'll look at a couple of case studies. How can we recognize the stronghold of the enemy in our life? How can we, in Paul's phrase, demolish strongholds that bind us and hold us captive? So that's the route march for the next 20 minutes or so. What is a stronghold? Well, if you look it up in the dictionary, if you just look around the world today, a stronghold, we use that term today. um, For example, we might talk of the Taliban in Afghanistan. It's any town or area, city that is fortified and will resist anything that comes against it. It's It's a sort of secure place, A place where people can retreat to in order to scheme and plan, in order to set off um, uh, attacking parties or skirmishes into enemy or fortified territory. That is, as the name suggests, a, a strong holding, a strong place. And in spiritual terms, as we've seen and I've repeated that uh, verse from 2 Corinthians on the sheet there. In spiritual terms, a a, a spiritual stronghold is any thoughts, any act of imagination, any theory, any decision, any policy, any practice, any behaviour that sets itself up against the truth of God, to use Paul's phrase there, or against the knowledge of God. You see it in the middle line. Arguments, pretensions, that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. That is a spiritual stronghold. It's where the enemy holds us captive in our thoughts, imaginations, which work themselves out in our behavior and our practice. Now, by repetition, just through life's daily circumstances, these, if unchecked, these thoughts, these little topos elements, if you like, they can become quite resilient, quite grooved in us, patterned in us, such that they become established. And so we tend to nurse past hurts, or we return to familiar habits. <laughs> or old hang-ups have a habit of hanging around us. Hurts, habits, hang-ups. The three H's, if you like, that characterize the stronghold of the enemy in our lives. I, I spoke last week, you used the analogy of uh, this idea of sort of driving with a handbrake on. And a, uh, more than a, a few of you were kind enough to admit that you've done that from time to time. You, you're driving in a car and you, you, you kind of know it isn't quite going as it should. And when you have that sense of driving with a handbrake on in your own Christian life... It's more than likely that the enemy has been given topos. You've allowed him in in such a way, I have allowed him in, in such a way that he's established a base of operations from which he's beginning to attack and undermine the life of Christ in me, in you. That is, in spiritual terms, what the Bible understands as a stronghold, where the enemy has quite an established, strong hold on our outlook, our thoughts, our behavior, and so on. Now you might say at this stage, Tim, it's, all, it's just a bit sort of hard to take in. I, I thought you were saying just a few weeks ago that we are, those of us who are in Christ and Christ is in us, we're new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. How come the enemy, the devil, still has such a hold on my life? And the key thing, actually, is is last week, is topos, it's access. When we give the enemy access. If you think about it, I don't have to be the prime minister in order to drive the prime minister's car. I just have to have his keys. And then I can take him for a ride. (laughs) As it were. I am in Christ. I am a new creation. Christ is in me. But if I give the enemy the keys, he can take me for a ride. Even though I'm in Christ, even though I'm a new creation, he can play havoc with my mind, my emotions, my heart. He cannot invade my spirit. If I am born again, that element of being recreated and renewed is secure in Christ. It's vital we hold on to that. But in terms of that that middle circle that I had just a few weeks ago, our our will, our mind, our emotions, our dreams, our our imagination, all of that, if we give access to the enemy, he can come and build strongholds in our lives. How do strongholds become established? Look at the sheet here and you'll see this pattern. Jesus in John chapter 8, he refers to... Uh, the devil Satan as a liar and the father of lies all untruth emanates from him and that's how he operates think about it in Genesis 3 you know it well the serpent symbolizing the enemy of God what does he do he he convinces Eve and Adam to believe a lie about God that's what he does he deceives that's what his name means the deceiver And he's flying around. Actually, interesting, another um, Beelzebub, another name for the devil, literally means Lord of Flies. And it's it's almost as if you're on a nice summer's day, you're kind of, lovely summer's day, out in the garden or out somewhere. And there's there's, there's, there's a fly buzzing around. It's kind of a picture of the enemy, he's just flying around looking for a place to land. The great thing, actually, and this is a Christian truth, is that flies, um, although they're annoying, and they're often ever-present, they are swattable. It's worth remembering that in Christian life. But he's flying around, trying to find a place to land, and as we, with a lie, he wants to just distort the truth of God. And as we receive that lie... In thoughts or emotions. It may be we, we feel something that is out of kilter with God's truth. Or we think something that is out of line with God's truth. He's landed. And he's seeking to build a fortress, a stronghold. It'll uh, influence our decision making. We'll, we'll make decisions off the basis of what we are currently thinking. That'll infect our actions, which informs our values and becomes something of a lifestyle. And so the enemy's strategy of taking a foothold and developing it into a stronghold is born. And that's what the Bible calls bondage, captivity to sin. And the thing is that these strongholds of the enemy are so subtle and often have been around for so long in our lives that they become quite enmeshed with our character, our personality, who we understand ourselves to be. So that very often you'll hear people excusing behavior, even within Christian or church circles, as simply saying, well, that's just me. This is just who I am. I've, I've always been this way without pausing to wonder whether that is actually how god intends us to be how he made you and me to be is that exactly am i really meant to be that anxious and fearful is that uh, frustration or anger is that really what god intends for part of my life is this tendency to pride or to envy really is that is that is that excusable is God is God really did he make me with that as part of my DNA or has somehow has that come in to infect and distort the way in which I think and act I'm told of a true uh, experiment that took place really did take place involving a pike I don't know if we can have the there he is um uh, and just in case you were thinking of Dad's army, you know, and um, Mr. Manorin, a you know, uh, 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 pike is a great predator, as you know, uh, and it'll, it'll prey on all sorts of uh, lesser fish in the great aqua hierarchy. And apparently they, what they did was they put this pike in a great big tank with a whole lot of minnows and little fish and, you know, frimpy things and so on. And the pike had a field day, breakfast, lunch, supper, every day taken care of, snap, 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 just ate all the minnows. And the more they put minnows in, the more the pike kept eating them. And then what they did was they separated the tank into two with a clear perspex um, sheet. And they separated the tank in two and put the pike in one half and all the minnows and little fish in the other And the pike went mad, if it's possible to discern a pike going mad, because it could see all the minnows through the perspex uh, sheet. And every time it would go to eat them, it would bash against the sheet. And for days and days, it would go and bash its nose against the perspex sheet. A few days more, and it did that less and less. And after a few weeks the um, people carrying out this experiment, they noticed that actually the minnows had begun to be a little less fearful. They had gravitated towards the sheet and actually were swimming just within millimeters of the sheet. And just millimeters the other side, the pike was swimming up and down, totally oblivious, just ignoring. They were millimeters apart, hunter and hunted. And yet the pike had learned, because of the perspex sheet, it couldn't get the minnows Crucially, a few weeks later, they pulled out the perspex sheets. There's nothing separating the pike and the minnows. Guess what happened? Nothing. The pike just swam up and down because it had learnt, it had been pacified into a new way of thinking that it could not get the minnows. It could not eat the prey. It's an example, an illustration, of how the strongholds of the enemy can pacify us in Christ we are pikes in Christ we're meant to declare the kingdom and live it out we're meant to go Monday morning not in fear and trembling and insignificance we're meant to walk into our places of work into our communities and engage with people taking the presence and the power and the authority of Christ with us that's who we are but the enemy, through his schemes, has put perspex blocks so, such that we've become convinced that we're not who we truly are in Christ. We've distorted and inhibited and reduced the life of Christ in us. We've allowed that to happen as we've, as we've allowed the enemy topos, footholds that have developed into strongholds. Case study, just over the page, and here we are in Gideon. Let me rattle through this quickly. You can kind of use this as homework if you like. But the context, look at this, the prophet coming and reminding the people, look what God did. Look at all the things he's done. He's cleared the land. He's got rid of the enemies. He's given you the land. But what's happening? Verse 11, what do you do in a wine press? Don't you press wine in a wine press? You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. Why is Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press? Because he's hiding. Why is he hiding? I thought all this land was given by the Lord. Oh, well, no, the Midians and the Meliorites and all the other Arites. Uh, all the other people, they're much bigger than us, more numerous than us. They're quite frightening, really. We, we better just grab what grain we can and, and thresh it hiding away in a wine press. And God in his grace... Isn't it always this way? He comes and finds us. When we're out of kilter, when we're hiding away, when our lives are, you know, like that subjugated pike, he comes and finds us. I know it refers to an angel, but you can see clearly that as Gideon responds, he responds to the Lord. Indeed, verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, so it's an angelic visitation, but it's clearly the Lord who's speaking to Gideon. And look what he says here. Heavenly realm, reality, God's opinion, empowering truth. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That's how God sees Gideon. He looks at Gideon and he sees a mighty warrior such that he speaks it out. He declares it. But look what Gideon says. But sir, verse 13, pardon me. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors talked about? Did not, when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? Look at this. But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. That's a lie. That's not true. That's not how God intended Israel to be. That's not God's original design for Gideon or any of the Israelites. But you see how Gideon has been infected with the sin of unbelief. He no longer believes that Israel belongs to God. He believes that Israel, and, well, we, we, I suppose we belong to the Midianites. They seem to be the, the big boys in town. G- can you see how that, that the, the scheme of the enemy has worked in Gideon's life? Look at this next one. Go in the strength you have, verse 14, uh, the Lord says. Am I not sending you? That's a rhetorical question. He is sending Gideon. But Lord, look what's working out in Gideon's life here. How can I save Israel? My family is the smallest and I'm the weakest. And oh, Well, before we laugh, how many, I think, to, I ask myself, how many times have I responded to the Lord? The Lord has given me something to do. He's commanded me. He's shown me. He said, Tim, this is who I've made you. This is what I want you to do. And I go, oh, yeah, but, well, I don't, I just, hmm. Insignificance, inferiority, playing out in Gideon's life. It plays out in my life because I have allowed topos place ground for the enemy to build his stronghold to reduce who i am blind me to the realities like the pike swimming with minnows right across his nose doesn't do anything passivity inactivity apathy look at this wonderful thing in verse 15 very briefly Uh, sorry, verse 16. The Lord answers Gideon with great patience. I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. It's what I call the, the divine human cooperation. It's what God always wants. He, he, doesn't want, he doesn't want to just sort of put on a great show and we stand by and applaud. He's always longed that he would inhabit his people by his spirit so that he and we Work together. I will be with you and you will strike the Midianites. We would like that to say, I will strike the Midianites and you can come along too and sort of watch and applaud. But actually, that's apathy. That's passivity. That's just sort of coming along for the ride. It's not what God calls us to. He doesn't call us to be alive, He calls us to live. There's a difference. Gideon, you go in the strength you have. I'll be with you. And together, with you playing your part, we'll strike down the Midianites. Case study one. Case study two, the high street, (laughs) 2009. Um, I just want to touch briefly on the soil in which strongholds grow and I get this from the baptismal liturgy which the liturgies we have today actually are centuries old they haven't changed much and uh, one of the prayers that I pray on a, on a baptismal candidate is this that you would continue Christ's faithful soldier and servant all the days of your life against the world the sin uh, the world sin and the devil the world sin and the devil and you sort of think, well. Well, which one is it? What, the world or sin? Well, let's look at Gideon. You see, the the world view, the world doesn't really help Christian living. It's just because Paul tells us in Romans 8 that the world is in bondage to decay. It's kind of decaying and, and, and rancid and smelling. The world just sort of stands by and just does sort of nothing, really. What was the world view of Gideon? Well, loads of Midianites. Swarms of them. Far more than the Israelites. Oh... So so immediately, you can kind of see how Gideon... And then the devil comes in and says, look at all those Midianites. Who do you think you are, Gideon? Hey, just one of you, thousands of them. You'll never win. You're nothing. You're the weakest in your family. You are. You better go and hide in that wine press. And Gideon says, oh yeah, yeah. And that's the sin. When he hears the voice of the enemy, the lie, and chooses to believe it, it must be true. I am nothing. I better go and hide. The world... The devil, sin. Let's just jump forward several millennia to the 21st century. And we're walking along the high street. And we see the world everywhere. And the world basically has beautiful women who are tall and elegant and impossibly thin. And they're everywhere. They're the mannequins in the shop windows. They're on every advert. They're on every magazine cover. That's the world. And the devil says to an adolescent young girl... That's what real women look like. See, they're everywhere. They're all beautifully thin and immaculate. There's not a blemish on their face. They're perfect. That's what real women are like, the enemy whispers. And the sin is when a girl hears that, takes it in and begins to believe it and looks in the mirror and hates herself. For the shape she is. The shape that God has given her to be. And so I don't need to play that forward to the eating disorders and uh, harming and all of that. And that same high street with those same pictures and an adolescent boy walks down. And he sees... And the enemy whispers, that's what real women look like. And he looks at his contemporaries who are female and he recognizes a disconnect at the very same time that he's trying to engage and relate. And he can't relate because the image doesn't match with the reality as he sees it. And so he thinks, I can't relate. And then he discovers that with just a couple of clicks on the mouse of his computer, he can get those same images and he doesn't have to relate. But he can feed And it soothes him. And it holds him. We're tempted to think that this is all sort of fanciful stuff back then. Don't you believe it? The enemy is active. He's alive. He's flying around looking for topos. Looking for ways in which he can hold us and bind us. Can I be direct with you just for a moment? If you are in Christ, let me tell you, I love you. We all love you. God loves you. But let me tell you this. The enemy hates you. He hates you. He hates what's being formed in you. He's out to destroy you. That's why this is real, this stuff. It's real. Let me say right now. He's won. The battle is won on the cross. He's done it. Colossians 2, read it up. Learn it. He has disarmed the principalities and powers. On the cross, he soaked up all sin and the consequence of sin and the power of sin unto death. And as he died, sin died. And the power of sin died. Temptation and sin are still a reality, but we don't have to allow them into our lives if we are in Christ. Because in Christ... We have his victory and his new life. Yes, Jesus died. But yes, God raised him to new life. That's the life we live in Christ. So there's no need to be fearful about the realities out there. It's just a wake up call to ensure that we live. In Christ that's why that sheet I put out I should have had some spares uh, of who we are in Christ it's so important we take them we read them we feed on them we soak in them we align our minds to the plumb line of God's truth very quickly it's just the headings we need to recognize the work of the enemy in our lives because we can we we have the power we have the victory we can be complete in Christ. If you're married, it'll be uh, that much more easy for um, you to be able to recognize the work of the enemy in your life because your partner will be able to help you. <laughs> if you're not, it's a housemaid or a work colleague. Or actually, the Lord. It's revelation. Uh, James says, which of you um, lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously. Lord, please show me where I'm out of line with your truth for my life. He will as we wait and we listen and demolishing strongholds well um, we have this again in the baptismal service I ask these questions of uh, uh, either candidates themselves or people bringing children too young to speak for themselves these are the questions I ask them do you reject the devil and all rebellion against God I reject them do you renounce the deceit and corruption of evil I renounce them Do you repent of the sins that separate us from God and neighbour? I repent of them. It's fairly unequivocal. It's, It's a ruthless recognition of all the schemes and lies of the enemy that would seek to bind us. And it is a declaration before God and in the sight of men and women. I I flee from them. I want no part them to be no part of my life. I turn from that. And in so saying, we turn to Christ as Lord and Savior. We come to him, the way, the truth, and the life. We live his life, and we smash the power of strongholds. Let me finish with this. I want to read it out. Just It's on the back of the sheet. Augustine of Hippo, this is one of his sermons to baptismal candidates in the run-up to Easter. What we're doing for you by invoking the name of your Redeemer, you must complete by thoroughly scrutinizing and crushing your hearts. We block the wiles of the ancient and obstinate enemy with prayers to God and with stern rebukes. You must stand up to him with your earnest prayers and contrition of heart in order to be snatched from the power of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his glory. This is now your task and this your toil. We heap curses on him, appropriate to his vile wickedness. It is for you, rather, to join glorious battle with him by turning away from him and devoutly renouncing him. He has to be crushed, bound, shut out, this enemy of God and of you and above all of himself. Empty out all his poisons from your hearts by calling on the name of the Saviour. Amen. Would that baptism preparation was a bit more robust like that today? (laughs) Wouldn't the church be in a slightly stronger place, don't you think? If we were serious about the battle and about our part in it and about the victory that we have in God, we're going to come. Now, to celebrate that victory, I'm going to invite you to take a little wafer symbolizing the body of Christ that he gave for you, his blood which he shed for you, cleansing you, washing you, uh, healing you. As you come and take the bread, it's, it's an act of defiance to the, the enemy. You're going to move, be active, and join the battle. Smash the strongholds that are present in our lives in order that we might live free without the handbrake on, lives that reflect God's glory, God's strength, God's power. Amen. Amen.